0: The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott, the trans asshole Alexander. And right across from me is the one, the only, the luscious Laura. Say hi, beautiful. Hi. All right. So the hammer killer, really?
1: Yes. The That's Colorado. fucking lame. What the fuck? H- yeah, that's, what, that's exactly what I was thinking. Hammer time. I, think
0: blue, I, I, I imagine him dressed in balloon pants. That's what I think. Zubas, people.
1: that's what those were called.
0: Is that what those are? Yeah,
1: I remember shit like that, but not, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's the weird shit I remember. I just
0: imagine him jumping out of corners, you know, and like uh, scaring people and they're, they're getting like heart attacks. He goes, can't touch this. <laughs> ah! And they dropping off. Like, yep, yeah, guess I couldn't touch that. He's dead now. <laughs> yeah. Take it away.
1: So I'm going to do the, this will be in two parts. So I'm going to do all the attacks on the first part. And because it's been in the news just recently. And like last week's people magazine was about this. this Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 some of it, I mean, it's coming up again. I'll say that it's not recent. His crimes are not recent, but his prosecution and all that is recent. That's happening now. So, okay. Um, So uh, as surprising as it is, I mean, there's so much on this guy uh, on what's happening now, but it was really hard to find information about his childhood. Um, Alexander Christopher Ewing was born on August 14th, 1960 in Colorado. Um, He had one brother and an abusive father who was in the Air Force. That's what I can find. (laughs) <laughs> on his childhood, which makes sense about why they were in Colorado. but And that when, uh, apparently when Ewing was 17, he had spinal meningitis and he claims that this permanently changed him mentally. Uh, spinal meningitis is an infection of the fluid and membranes around the brain and spinal cord. Once infection starts, it can spread rapidly throughout the body. Without treatment, it can cause brain damage in a matter of hours and can be fatal within 24 hours. So that does make sense that it probably did change him permanently. He probably did have some brain damage from that, but that doesn't excuse him from what he did.
0: I know you probably have some brain damage, you fucking retard, but...
1: But... (laughs) Um, Ewing was in trouble for petty crimes uh, as far back as 1979, but it was mostly burglary in California and Florida. So, yes, for a short while, he was Florida man.
0: That explains so much.
1: (laughs) So much. Yes. So, let's jump into the crimes that would have several states in fear for their lives. The first attack... The crime spree known as the Colorado Hammer Murders seemed to begin in Aurora in the early morning hours of January 4th, 1984. James, a young man not even 25 years old, had married his wife Kim in August of 1982. They were living in Aurora and planned to make a life together there. They were particularly proud of the fact that at 22 and 21 they were homeowners already in a nice neighborhood, a lot of new construction. Uh, At approximately 2 a.m. on January 4th, 1984, an intruder came through the unlocked garage door. He attacked the couple with a hammer, bludgeoning them with it and leaving them for dead. Um, Miraculously, both of them survived in the assault, though James suffered from a fractured skull and his wife suffered a concussion. Just out of nowhere, just in the middle of the night, it's like for
0: no reason, he's just being an asshole? No reason.
1: That's fucked up. Yeah. There were very few leads to go on, only, a, you know, a hazy physical description from Kim because, you know, she had a concussion and it was dark. It was a dark and It was a dark and stormy night, yeah. The case lacked any apparent motive. Um, the police found footprints in the snow that led up to and away from other homes in the same area and on the same street, leading them to believe that the offender was simply looking for an easy opportunity. So any it could have been anyone. Anywhere he got in, he would have done it. According to property records, the couple stayed in the house after the attack. Unfortunately, their marriage would be the cost of the trauma that they had endured together, and James and Kim divorced in the fall of 1987. And I've seen pictures of... Of his, I believe it was his um, injuries, like in the hospital, and the he has like staples in his face, and yeah, yeah, seriously, beat the shit out of this guy with the hammer. Um, James, who posts online from time to time, discusses how vividly the case still haunts him even to this day. Kim hadn't been back to the scene of the crime after moving until the filming of a uh, People magazine did on Discovery Plus. They do People magazine investigates. And they, they just did a documentary on this guy. And she hadn't been back there since. And, and it brought her to tears just being there and reliving it. The second attack, almost six days later... Tragedy struck Aurora once again. It was Monday evening, January 9th, 1984. Darkness had just fallen. 28-year-old Donna Dixon, fresh off of a shift working as a flight attendant, had been out running errands. She was happy to be home for a while and eagerly awaited the next day when her boyfriend, Ronald Holm, would be home. He worked as a pilot. So they were like the perfect couple. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Donna pulled into the driveway, hit the remote to open the garage, and pulled her car in. Before exiting the vehicle, she turned to grab her flight attendant uniform, which was hanging in the back, and as she turned to leave the car, she felt a tremendous blow on the left side of her head. The force of the impact threw her head into the steering wheel, the world turned a painful red, and Donna began to lose consciousness. She slumped over into the passenger seat, and it, I was also reading and looking at pictures. And it, where she had been holding on to the e-brake, it like bent it. Holy shit! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Even to this day, she and I say f- I think it's fortunate she has no recollection of what happened in the next couple hours. Um, it's, it's quite possible that she wasn't conscious for any of it. I hope she wasn't. Uh, investigators were able to piece together the details of the horrendous ordeal through the study of the evidence in the crime scene. The blow she felt was the attacker striking her head with a hammer. He tossed it off under the seat of the car and began pulling her from the vehicle... He tore her clothes off, tossed them aside, and then he raped her on the concrete floor. And if you look at the pictures of that, there's blood everywhere. <laughs> ah, fucking brutal, yeah. man. Um, the next thing Donna remembered was waking up naked in the garage. She thought that like she was dreaming or she had gone out and she drank too much. It was that kind of a feeling is what she said, and she didn't understand how she got to where she was she had no idea how she got there and she didn't feel any pain she was numb and cold and somehow was able to get to her feet and go inside but she kept having to stand up and then she would fall down and stand up and fall down and she made for some reason she didn't go through the garage door into the house she went out to the front of the house so there was blood all over outside of the front I don't know how neighbors didn't see that no kidding man fuck (laughs) Uh, she made her way to the bedroom and and went to bed and it was nearly 24 hours in total before she was found at around 8 p.m. on January 10th 1984 her boyfriend Ron Holm arrived home he was immediately alarmed at the scene in the garage her clothes, purse, and even some of the mail was by her car, and blood was near the front door. The, the blood that was near the front door sent him into a panic. He raced inside and quickly found Donna in the middle of the blood-soaked bed. And there was blood all the way to the bed. So she's been bleeding for 24 hours from the head and is still alive. She was naked, curled up in the fetal position and groaning. He shouted her name, but she could only groan in response. He noticed a gaping wound on the left side of her skull. Ron quickly called 911. Donna was rushed to the hospital while police worked the scene. The large hammer was recovered, and that's something that this guy does at almost every scene is he leaves the hammer.
0: He's a smart one. <laughs> God damn.
1: Right. Still on the seat of the car where, where he had left it. It was dusted for prints, but none were found. Blood was all over the garage floor. There was blood all over the car. Her clothes were tossed everywhere. Her purse was found nearby and some money was stolen from it, but nothing else appeared to be missing. Donna underwent... Several operations, despite the trauma of the attack and losing an incredible amount of blood, the doctors and nurses were able to save her life. Amazingly, it was thought that spending so many hours naked on the garage floor in the freezing temperatures may have kept her from bleeding to death. They said, had it been summertime, she would have died. She wouldn't even have made it in the house. Ron kept vigil and kept guard in her hospital room day and night. Not only was he waiting for any sign of improvement, but he was afraid that the killer would find out that she had survived and come back to attack her again. Ron slept at the foot of Donna's hospital bed with a gun for three days until a police officer was assigned to the job of guarding her. I wouldn't even trust the cops.
0: Like, for real. I'd, I'd still be there going, "Yeah, that's fine there, officer. W.D. do right. But I'm
1: going to stay here. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm going to... i got to do my part in this.
1: hmm The severity of her injuries can't be understated. When she first woke up, she had, uh, quote, the mentality of a two-year-old. She had to relearn how to talk and couldn't speak a full sentence for almost six months. She had to relearn how to feed herself and all of the daily activities of living that we all take for granted. Donna, after a long recovery, though, she did end up returning to her job as a flight attendant because she, she wasn't going to let him take her power and she loved her job. She does. You you can tell if you watch the documentary that there's still. I mean, it caused lasting effects in oh, her yeah, brain. We, like on
0: the fucking floor forever. Yeah, I mean, among that among the he just got hit with a goddamn hammer. Yeah, it's not like somebody bitch smacked you, he right? You with a fucking hammer. hammer.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ron showed his commitment to Donna by marrying her in May of 1984, just a few months after the ghastly attack and before she was even fully recovered. Dude, no, you...
0: seriously. I'm not like a hopeless romantic, but that right, dude, buddy. You know what? I, I really do hope this gets back to you. Told. Total kudos to you. That's, yes, that's pretty fucking bomb, but brother. That's 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 a far cry from how I felt on yesterday's episode.
1: Right, that's <laughs> yeah. a far far cry. <laughs> that's you make you what? feel a little bit better. It, it,
0: it does, dude. You you are truly a hero. And I, I mean that. I'm not just being a dick or anything like that. Yeah, I normally am. You are truly a good man and a hero. Okay.
1: It- you can tell, yeah, even still. Like, they've been uh, married for 37 years. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And they are still so totally in love. It's very obvious. It's And it's really sweet. I got to take my antidepressants. I'm getting all teary over here
0: <laughs> thinking about it. Like, seriously, God damn. Fucking, I, I love nice little heartwarming stories like that. For the, at least this part of it, not about yeah, this fucking prick with a hammer. Right. This guy can go fuck himself.
1: Just wait, yeah. <laughs> So the third attack, uh, before Donna Dixon was even found, another crime had taken place 26 miles to the west in the city of Lakewood. The victim was 50-year-old Patricia Louise Smith. Patricia had only been living in Lakewood for about three and a half months, having moved there from Nebraska with her daughter, who was recently divorced. Um, Patricia missed her husband, Oliver, who stayed behind in Nebraska. They had a big farm there, uh, but she loved being with her daughter and her two grandchildren in a bustling city. She was an interior designer who just everybody loved her. She had no enemies. She was the sweetest woman. It's always that way. The four of them lived together in a townhome off of West Bayard Avenue, was a beautiful area with clean crisp air and the mountains rising up to the west. January 10th, 1984 started just like any other day with Patricia dropping off her daughter and grandkids at work and school. And the first sign of trouble came in the afternoon when Patricia failed to pick the kids up from school, and then she didn't pick up her daughter from work. So the family got a ride with, I think it was a cousin, they said. Um, And when they arrived home, they found it very odd that Patricia's car was still there and that the television appeared to be on in the upstairs bedroom. So they thought she was home, but obviously something was wrong. Um, They immediately knew something was wrong. The scene in the home... Traumatize the daughter and grandchildren for life. Uh, they're lying on the floor next to the couch, and just a few feet away from the front door was the carefully posed body of their grandmother. The fuck, what an and
0: asshole, man.
1: The, See, yeah. this is what
0: pisses me off. He's involving the kids. Okay, now, granted, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him kudos. Dude, you didn't touch the kids, and that's cool. Uh, just wait. Oh, just wait. really? Yeah, just We're wait. We're going to go down that
1: path, huh? We are. Just that's wait. Yeah. There's more about this guy. Yeah, so...
0: I was all happy for him, like, okay, hey, he's not touching kids, but apparently I'm wrong. So yeah. This guy can now go fuck himself, too. Cause I, I just, we've been on this kick of people touching kids and doing rotten things to kids. Mm-hmm. I don't even like kids, but Jesus fucking Christ, you don't. You, you, just you don't do that,
1: animal. yeah. One well, in this case, the, um, her daughter said that the kids were super excited to see Grandma, and so they ran to the house first, and they went in first, and so it was her, her granddaughter that found her. God. Patricia Smith had been laid straight. Her arms crossed over her chest as if on display in a funeral home, a neatly folded Winnie the Pooh comforter that belonged to the grandkids, uh, lay under her and a portion of it was obscuring her head. The blanket and the floor around it was soaked in blood. Patricia still wore her sweater and boots, but her jeans were pulled down and a hammer lay next to her. It was later determined to be the murder weapon. Um, and he raped her as well. He raped a kid? No, he. this is the grandmother. Oh, this the grandmother. Is, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, police examining the scene were able to reconstruct the basic chain of events. It was determined that she had been killed somewhere between the hours of 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. Patricia had come home from work for lunch, stopping at Wendy's on the way. She left the garage door open, most likely um, left the door to the house from the garage unlocked as she went upstairs and turned the TV on because it's supposed to be a super safe neighborhood and and it's in the middle of the fucking day. Um, Since they could find no signs of forced entry, police felt that the killer entered through the unlocked door and attacked her. They didn't feel that he forced his way into the home as she entered it herself, due to the television and Wendy's receipt being located upstairs. It seemed that robbery was not the primary motive. Only the personal jewelry that Patricia was wearing was missing from the scene, and the house was not ransacked, but the contents of her purse were strewn everywhere. And once again, no fingerprints. Or any other usable evidence could be found at this scene. This guy is fucking lucky. At least his dumbass knows how to cover his
0: tracks. I'm going to give him that.
1: So, this is the bad one. (laughs) This is the fourth attack. 27 miles away from the Smith murder, but very close to the other incident's the Bennett family was still settling into their new home on East Center Drive in Aurora, Colorado. They'd moved there around Thanksgiving from another place a few miles away and had so far enjoyed their quiet, developing neighborhood. They lived on a peaceful cul-de-sac where most of the houses had recently been finished and were yet to be sold. And if you notice... Most of these take place around new construction where Uh you would be using a hammer. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Allen Bennett was 27 years old. He'd been in the Navy where he worked on high-tech sonar equipment at Pearl Harbor. He was currently working at the family-owned furniture store but was taking classes at the local college and would soon be working as an air traffic controller. Deborah Marie Bennett... 26 years old, had married Bruce before his Navy deployment in 1976. She, too, worked at the family-owned furniture store and was happily helping raise the couple's two children, Melissa, who was uh, seven years old, but she was about to turn eight, and Vanessa, who was three years old, with the man that she loved. On Sunday, January fifteenth, 1984... Several family members gathered at the Bennett home to have a birthday party for Melissa, who would have turned eight on Tuesday. Oh,
0: man. See? Just by you saying that, I know Mm -hmm. where this is going. God
1: damn it! Yeah. Fuck. The last family member left around 9 p.m. When they did, they noticed that the garage door was still open. Bruce had mentioned wanting to run to the store before bed. But he forgot to close it before they went to bed, and that was the last time that the Bennets were seen alive.
0: Gee, Christmas.
1: Sometime between 9 p.m. on the 15th and 10 a.m. on the 16th, most likely between midnight and 6 a.m., an intruder entered the Bennett home. At some point, either when the intruder entered the couple's bedroom or before Bruce was alerted to the intruder's presence, a tremendous struggle took place. Bruce and the intruder fought up and down the stairwell, and at some point, Bruce was struck multiple times by a hammer. Even after he was struck and injured severely, Bruce continued to struggle valiantly with his attacker, um, and it seemed he climbed the stairs after him. After Ewing thought that he was unconscious or dead because he still was trying to protect his family, even though he had several head wounds from a construction hammer, uh, the attacker retrieved a butcher knife from the kitchen and began stabbing Bruce in various places on his upper body. And once Bruce was incapacitated again, the offender used the knife to slit his throat from ear to ear. What a dick! Bruce finally succumbed to his injuries, and the family was left vulnerable. It seems that Deborah was the next victim, and she may have even been approached and incapacitated in the middle of Bruce's struggle with the killer, so they think that maybe once he thought he was dead at first, he went and and beat her with the hammer, and then was like, oh no, Dad's still alive, so I'm going to have to go back and kill him. I'll come back for you in a minute. There was evidence of a struggle in the bedroom. Uh, Deborah was savagely beaten to death with a hammer, and she was also raped.
0: God, was that the kid or the wife?
1: That's the wife.
0: Jesus fucking Christ, man.
1: Bruce and Deborah were both probably dead by the time the killer entered Melissa's bedroom. He viciously struck the young child in the head with a hammer. As blood poured out of her body, he lifted her up from the bed... Unknowingly leaving an imprint from his shirt on her blood-soaked pajamas. He put her on the floor and sexually assaulted her.
0: That's where I draw the fucking line. God damn it. Yep. I thought for sure this asshole was just killing people with a hammer, which is fucked up as. A, but you're touching kids.
1: Every time he seems to ramp it up a little more. It's just fucking um, ridiculous,
0: man. I don't. It's it's because in my head. Okay, I understand why people kill other people. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm not an idiot. You know, and sometimes it's a compulsion. Sometimes you're raping adults. Okay, it's fucked up, but it happens. I cannot, in any way, shape, or form, fathom why somebody would touch a chop. Because, and, and uh, I've mentioned this before on the show, is that you know, I think of my kids. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I've I've never looked at my kids ever, and I've got a daughter, and and and, and sit there and go. Mm. Yeah, I got to have some of that. Yeah. Or any of her little girly friends or anything like that going, that would be hot. <laughs> I just, it, it's never even fucking crossed, crossed my god your mind. mind. Yeah, Actually, what crossed my mind is that dad is, God, for the love of God, I hope they don't destroy the fucking house on the sleepover.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that maybe, hopefully, you'll get some, some, some sleep. <laughs> Oh, because yeah. and, and you as don't. having been a teenage girl, I know how loud we can be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just
0: as you. And then Cassie was pretty cool. You know, I mean, you start do- dozing off and shit. And all of a sudden you're waking to fucking wild laughter. And yes. and <laughs> all kinds of shit. And you know, what's even scarier as a dad, though. Seriously. And then we'll get back on track because I was trying to get the fucking fact of these raping kids in my head. Is that when there's sleepovers? You never quite know if you're gonna walk out of your room and see one of them half naked. Yeah, and it, it's weird because it would be a total accident, but that would creep me out.
1: <laughs> You'd be like, like ah, so, so, like, oh,
0: I would feel so, I would, I, I would feel violated myself. Like seriously, yeah. I mean, like
1: I did not need to see no, that. Don't,
0: don't want to. I just don't want to ever, <coughs> ever, ever.
1: Especially ever. if they've been friends for a long time <laughs> since they were little. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that's even worse. You're like. Oh great I just saw your your friend you know fucking Stacy's boobs and I mm-hmm. don't want to see that shit I'm have fucking nightmares now <laughs> and girls are just fucked up like I've heard we are I've heard teenage girls talk Guys you think that we're fucked up when we talk as teenagers <laughs> yeah no you've got nothing on the girls around you <laughs> trust me we say fucked up things. But that chick that you're dating has said things way more fucked up than you can way ever worse. goddamn think of. Yes, little demons, man, demons. <laughs> <laughs> I know what happened, Melissa?
1: So <clears throat> Melissa ended up dying from her injuries. The youngest girl, Vanessa, who was only three years old, was also struck violently in the face with the hammer. The blow was so severe that her jaw was shattered and her skull was fractured in several places. Her arms, legs, and pelvic area were also smashed to bits.
0: Christ!
1: Why? Why? If you're fucking. Why?
0: I don't. Jesus fucking Christ, man!
1: And then, after he did that to her, um, he also raped her. A three year old.
0: Uh, no. I, I can.
1: Apparently thinking she was dead, he began to make his escape. He took Deborah's purse and went out the front door, then dumped the contents out onto the snow. He also discarded the knife he used to kill Bruce. Uh, this time he kept the hammer. Finally. The Bennetts didn't show up for work on Monday. A co-worker informed Bruce's mother, Constance, about their absence. Immediately, she went over to the home to investigate. The garage door was still open. Constance entered the home, encountered the grisly scene, and immediately dialed the authorities. The police swarmed through the residence, quickly assessing the condition of each family member as they cordoned off certain areas of the home to gather evidence. And... In, also in that documentary, they interview the cops that were there, and the one guy says it's the it's the first time in my life that I could actually there was the smell of fear, I could smell fear, and there was blood. He said, "People say there's blood everywhere." That was like an understatement. There was uh, bleeding from your head, sprays, and there was blood literally everywhere, and bloody handprints, and broken stairway, and.
0: Like a fucked-up horror
1: flick. No that's what they, That's exactly what they said. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they verified one by one that each family member was deceased, at least until they came to Vanessa's bed. Wedged between the bed and the wall was three-year-old Vanessa, choking on fragments of her own jawbone and barely clinging to life. She was quickly and carefully taken to the hospital in an ambulance. Constance, her grandmother, immediately set up a vigil, which she kept up for days as the paramedics, nurses, and doctors worked feverishly to save Vanessa's life. After multiple surgeries, Vanessa was saved, though she went on to live life with permanent physiological effects from the assault. She also said she was bullied a lot uh, because she. it took several surgeries to give her as much of a normal face as possible. Um, She suffers from severe PTSD, anxiety, and also ended up, also had bipolar disorder. Um, And all of these things were untreated. I mean, it was the eighties and it was not really talked about. And her grandmother was like, well, you know, maybe she'll, Forget. I love it when people it. say that. Yeah, like, just, she's just being a normal teenage girl. Um, she may have lived, but the life she would have had and the person she was meant to be died that day. She had substance abuse problems, was homeless several times. Um, Can you blame her? I no, mean, it seriously, a, seriously ruined her life.
0: All because of this one fucking piece of shit
1: and had no family. She had some survivor's guilt, also. Um, The crimes appeared to be sexually motivated, judging by the assaults that occurred on Deborah and Melissa and Vanessa. There wasn't anything notable stolen from the scene, and the attack had all the hallmarks of a random crime. There was no sign of forced entry. It was believed that the main garage door was left open throughout the night and that the door leading from the garage to the house was possibly left unlocked. The backyard of the home was the only one in the area without a fence, and it backed up to a dark and lonely portion of Alameda Avenue. Sorry. Other attacks had occurred... Off of this main road, and it's believed that the killer could have entered through that through that area from that point. <clears throat> ah, sorry, I need a drink. Police felt Got that one the over there? yes,
0: because oh, I can't see through my through, through my. <laughs> no, uh, I, forget, sound I, show. I
1: forget that you <laughs> your screen is there.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't have the X-ray vision. If I did, you'd be naked a lot.
1: Right, I knew that was coming. <laughs> okay
0: why I wasn't even breathing hard that time <laughs> but guess what Yeah, it arrived okay we're good yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, police felt that the killer brought his own weapons to the scene it didn't appear that any of the tools or hammers at the home had been rifled through they immediately connected it with the Donna Dixon case from January 9th and recognized <coughs> that a serial killer a serial offender was working the area According to some sources, they were able to match a shoe print from the Bennett household to a shoe print found in the garage at the Donna Dixon assault. The fifth attack happened on January 27th of 1984. Ewing moved on to Arizona where he snuck into the Kingman, Arizona home of 38-year-old Roy Williams. Roy remembers waking up in the middle of the night to a splitting headache and a stranger standing over him in the dark.
0: Strangers in the dark. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: Exchanging badges, Exchanging badges, <laughs> Wondering in the night if he's gonna be smashing...
1: Oh, and he did. Ewing had bludgeoned him with a twenty five pound rock. Jesus Christ, go big or go home. Right. I-, I just looked at him and said, Why did you do that?
0: Because that's <laughs> the first thing I was saying. Yeah, said so Roy. Hey, why yeah. are you
1: hitting me with twenty five pound rock,
0: man? Nah, Why'd nice. you do cool. that?
1: Yeah. Why'd you do that? Oh, because you're a dick. <laughs> The stranger then fled back out the same door that he had come through in the first place. Roy tried to grab him on the way out, but to no avail, and over 100 stitches were required to close Roy's head wounds. Roy still has trouble sleeping sometimes. One good thing came out of the attack on Roy Williams, however. A footprint was found outside Roy's house, that ended up matching the sole of the shoe of a hitchhiker that had been picked up. It was Alex Ewing. Ewing was arrested and taken into custody for attempted murder. Unfortunately, though, Arizona had an overcrowding issue in their prisons, and so Ewing was transferred to Utah. The Sixth Attack On August 9, 1984... Ewing was being transported back to Arizona for a court hearing along with several other inmates when he escaped during a restroom break on the outskirts of Henderson, Nevada. Uh, because they have to unlock the shackles on the inmates when they go to the bathroom. So that is how he, he saw his that's hot opportunity to escape, and he did.
0: No, because I, I was looking for my crazy bills. <laughs>
1: um, so he... The, w- the, that's why I said the good thing that came out of the, the attack on Roy was that a footprint was found outside of his house. Gotcha. It, it no, ended it. up matching the soul of a hitchhiker that had been picked up. Because he didn't even have his own car. God damn, hitchhiking
0: and beating people with rocks and hammers and shit. What
1: a dick. Uh, On October... Ninth, 1984, Ewing was being transported to Arizona for a court hearing along with several other inmates when he escaped during a restroom break on the outskirts of Henderson, Nevada. That night, wielding an axe handle this time, he entered the unlocked home of Christopher and Nancy Barry at 739 Racetrack Street,
0: Did you say race crack? Race track. Street. Race crack. Oh my god, I heard race crack. Street. Wait a minute. Is this another methany story? (laughs) (laughs) You
1: almost almost spit that out. That's awesome. No, it it is not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The scene you almost spit that out was fucking awesome. (laughs) Love
1: you, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Anything
0: to drink? I'm going to run it. No,
1: no. I'm I'm good. Um, I'm almost done with this section. Um, So he broke in and chased Nancy, who was screaming, into the bedroom she shared with her husband. Upon entering the home, Ewing began pummeling Christopher Barry with the axe handle. Uh, Both of them survived with broken bones, um, except Christopher Berry ended up in a coma with head fractures, skull fractures. And if you see pictures of the axe handle, he beat them so hard with it that it was broken in half. Once again, Ewing fled into the night. He wouldn't be free for long, though. He was in nothing but a pair of red shorts and his shoes. The Nevada desert is a dangerous place, especially in August.
0: (laughs) Wearing just red shorts and his shoes? God dang. Right. Tell me more! (laughs) (laughs) give with work for working with me
1: ewing finally broke down and he called his brother from a payphone (laughs) for help because he was tired and very dehydrated but he didn't have any money so he had to make a collect call um and at this point the you know the police had were looking for him and had circulated uh, as much of a sketch of him as they could get. So the gut instinct of the operator was to monitor the call and it's a good thing she did. Ewing told his brother about the attack on the berries and that he had escaped a prison detail. Immediately the operator called the police and told them exactly what payphone they could find Ewing at. When Ewing saw the police coming, he took off running, but because he was so dehydrated, he quickly fell and surrendered. Um The cop was huge, he was six foot six, and so the stride, his stride was much longer.
0: Yeah, he's like got like a fifty foot fucking stride going on. Yes, going
1: after Alex Ewing, who isn't really I mean, he's I don't even think he's six feet tall.
0: So fucking the cop can stand there, everybody's are you gonna chase him? Give him time, hold on.
1: I'm just going to walk
0: uh, quickly. I'm going to start walking now. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll get him. I'm j- he's not He's not going to make it. Just trust me. There's <laughs> no way you can't... Son of a bitch, you got him. He, he's not even breaking a sweat. <laughs> Poor Ewing's all on the ground. <laughs> 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 yeah. For fuck's sakes, just give me some water and take me to jail. Jesus.
1: Well, and that's what they say. <sighs> Police say that it really seemed like he was relieved to finally be done running. <clears throat> and if you, every single picture that's taken of him, he has this... <sighs> Satisfied smirk on his face. He looks really arrogant. Because
0: he finally got some water after trying to right, outrun yeah. the fucking ninety foot cop.
1: Yeah. So that's where I'm going to end this half because the next half of of everything is really long. So.
0: Is it long and hard?
1: It's long and hard, and I'll yeah, continue it next Wednesday. Tell me more. Pinching my nipples
0: <laughs> over here. All right. Remember, you can send me or send us an email, tell me that I'm a sexist bastard. At Brutal Nation at Twisted Blue LLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. This show show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and we will see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
1: Bye.